Welcome to the Slavic Boat Podcast. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy this episode. Добрый вечер, дорогие радиослушатели, добрый вечер, зрители, все, кто подключился на волну радио Slavic Family. И у нас по расписанию, как это бывает по четвергам, передача Slavic Vote Live и представители замечательной организации Дмитрий, Ярослав. И, конечно же, сегодня они пришли с гостями. И мы сейчас им дадим возможность также поприветствоваться и рассказать немножко о себе и о госте, которого они пригласили сегодня в эфир. Значит, спасибо, что вы подключились. Еще раз меня зовут Дима Сашенко. Сегодня передача Slavic Vote Live. И с нами, как всегда, Ярослав. И Ярослав, пожалуйста, вступи и можешь немножко рассказать. Хорошо. Я буду говорить пока по-русски. Те люди, которые еще не знают, что такое Slavic Vote, чем мы занимаемся, может, первый раз включили радио именно в это время, то сперва мы занимаемся регистрацией. Это, наверное, первая вещь, которую мы делаем. Мы первый год практически занимались только этим. Вы, может, нас видели в ваших церквах, других общениях, где там много славян было. Мы там были с нашими плакатами, с нашей командой. Это очень было хорошо. Второе, что мы делаем, это мы более сейчас стремимся к тому, чтобы мы пошли более к обучению, потому что мы знаем, что сейчас целая пандемия прошла, и... Uh, не так уже легко и выезжать в церква разные мероприятия, то мы сейчас больше идем на обучение, как сегодня Дима объявил, то у нас сейчас есть новый uh, YouTube channel, который мы это стараемся выставлять весь наш материал, и это очень хорошо. И последнее, мы активируем людей, мы поощряем людей, чтобы они шли и что-то делали в своих общинах, в местах, где они живут в школах, в которых их дети ходят, чтобы они как-то там участвовали, чтобы их голоса были слышны. And it's really good to have you today. And um, I just wanted to uh, thank you, first of all, for being here, because it's a pleasure to have you here. It's an honor. And uh, we've, we've been kind of uh, following you for a long time. I know the Slavic community is, are big fans of you. And they're, I'm sure they're excited to have you, to see you and to hear from you directly. So if you could uh, do me a favor, just introduce yourself and tell a little bit about yourself. Uh, why did you get into homeschooling and just your background? And uh, you just mentioned that you actually just grew up here in this area, uh, here in Portland. And um, yeah, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so it's, it's actually fun for me to be here. So I, uh, I spent a lot of years up on Birdsdale. So it is about five minutes from mm -hmm. the studio. So uh, we, Jay and I are going to drive around a little bit when this <laughs> is over and reminisce and take some pictures. Uh, but we began, my husband and I have been married for 32 years. And 23 years ago, we saw something happening in the public school system that really troubled us. My daughter was going to a small school in Canby, Oregon, uh, called Eccles Elementary School. There was a bomb threat there. And uh, I've got my, you know, my wonderful little second grader. And I was troubled, obviously, troubled by that. The school took measures. It was fine. But this was when um, threats against schools were just sort of starting. And we began to notice changes in our daughter not just because of what happened that day, but because of what she was hearing on the school bus and on the playground. And one day uh, I took my younger daughter, uh, to Sierra, to visit her at the school on her lunch hour. And I saw my daughter out in the far corner of the playground and she was by herself and she was crying. And of course, as a mother, I hated that, you know? So I went out, walked out and just asked her, you know, what's going on? And I realized, you know, I started thinking, I wonder if there's a better way. And I never wanted to homeschool my kids. I just thought, you know, what crazy woman would want to be home locked up with her children all day long when a yellow bus would take them away for free and you could have a shower by yourself and go to the grocery store and not, you know, fight with your kids and the whole yeah. thing. But the truth of the matter is I noticed that her being gone all day at the school was taking its toll on our family. And there was a there was a seminal moment. For me, uh, you know, we lived in Wilsonville at the time in Wilsonville, Oregon, and my um, my daughters would go out every morning and steer would walk Savannah out to the school bus. And that particular morning, the, the kids that were there bullied my littlest one and said, hey, you know, you're too little to be out here. We don't want you. And mm -hmm. so her sister, of course, feeling the peer pressure, said, yeah, I don't want you here. Go inside. Well, I didn't realize I had a mother bear in me until that day. And my daughter came in the house, uh, my youngest daughter, and she was crying. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, well, Savannah, she's embarrassed of me. 
because I'm too little. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. That is not how it works in the St. John house. So I waited for the bus to go around the cul-de-sac. And then I pulled out behind him in my Aerostar minivan, which I should have known at the time. If you had a minivan, you were destined to homeschool. I just didn't know it. And we <laughs> followed that school bus through the hills of Wilsonville, Oregon, for 45 minutes all the way to Eccles Elementary School. And when we got there, you know, and keep in mind, I'm in my pajamas when this is, I have a newborn son. So I have a little baby, you know, a little tiny, uh, little tiny baby in the back seat. I've got my daughter, Sierra, and I'm chasing a school bus with my other child in it. And she can see me from the back of the bus, you know, and the oh. look of terror on her face like my mom is following the school bus. And when we got there, Savannah, of course, knew exactly why I followed her. And she came out of the bus, put her arms around her sister. And I just told her, I said, we do not. This is not how we treat each other in this family. And as I was driving home in my pajamas, I remember just just praying to the Lord. And I felt so strongly that God was saying, maybe if you would listen to me about the importance of education, you wouldn't be chasing a school bus through the hills of Wilsonville, Oregon in your pajamas, you know? And so a couple of weeks later, I started praying about it. A couple of weeks later, I mentioned it to my husband and I said, you know, what would you think if we pulled our daughter out of school? Well, at that point I had already taken our next daughter to the homeschool supply store because she was bored and ready to do something. Mm -hmm. And she'd missed the cutoff at the public school. They gave me a book called teach your child to read in a hundred easy lessons. And I realized that I could do with her in 45 minutes a day, but it was taking the public school eight hours a day to accomplish with my child. And at the end of that school year, I pulled our daughter out of public school and all seven of our kids have been homeschooled. And uh, we have three grandkids now and two of them are being homeschooled. The other one's not quite old enough, but right. she will be too. <laughs> and you're right in this area. You're just in outside of Vancouver, right? Yeah. Battleground, yep. I yep. Uh, yep. My family and I live in Battleground. Our daughter, our grandkids are being raised in Camas. The homeschool resource center, which we founded mm -hmm. is uh, in Vancouver. And we have a passion for it because we know it works. We know we know people can do it. And uh, and what's happening in our schools, which we're going to get to in a moment, is an emergency. Yeah. Our, our kids are being injured in, by the school system now. And so we're watching really what can only be described as a mass exodus out of the public school system. And there's a better way. And this is what the Lord taught my husband and myself. And, and like I said, I thought we I never considered myself homeschool material. You know, I didn't wear jumpers. I wasn't growing my own wheat in the backyard out of grain and grinding it in flour. And everybody that I knew, at least back in the early 90s that was homeschooling, I just thought, you people are completely insane. You don't have, you don't have, you know, social security numbers or, you know, I thought this is a crazy thing to do. Well, as it turned out, uh, pulling our daughter out of public school, it was probably one, if I could say there were three things that have shaped our family and Jay and I have been married for 32 years now. Uh, homeschooling would be in the top three best thing we've ever done for our family um, that's awesome and uh, you mentioned just I want to rewind just a little more you said that you grew up kind of having some uh, some Slavic friends or yes t tell me a little more yeah about that. that's a wonderful story so my my parents were um, introduced to a gentleman named Nikki Pop years ago out of the Romanian community and we heard that they were that there was a, a, a group of Romanians immigrating to the United States and our family my parents decided to get involved. And so we hosted them at our home. My mom was a nurse at Providence. And so um, her working full time, I would come home. And for several years, we had a Romanian a grandmother come over to our house every afternoon. She made the best chicken soup on the face of the earth. I'm not going to lie. Uh, so we got to come home to chicken soup and uh, and fresh baked bread. And we became uh, pretty intimately involved in the Romanian uh, community. They taught us how to make Turkish coffee which I still don't like, but I, I gave it the old college try <laughs> uh, and and loved the community immediately. So I have had a real heart for the Slavic community for a long time. And um, and I started working with Slavic Vote. It's been several years ago now, just trying to get the Slavic community to engage um, in the process, because I know that there are more of us. And and if we would take our values to the voting booth, if we would take what we care about and really get involved I, I honestly believe we would not be living in the situation that we're living in right now. Right. Yes, I completely agree. It's just so interesting, the fact that your circumstances that prompted you to actually start homeschooling are so different. <laughs> it's like, 
it's like a best case scenario if that was the case right now like why parents are even thinking about homeschooling um i was just talking to your husband right before the show and he mentioned that you guys were in a big slavic church in sacramento yes years a few ago. years ago mm-hmm. and the reception there was kind of uh, you know are you guys preppers type of yeah. <laughs> approach because homeschooling didn't even i didn't even hear about homeschooling until about like two years ago when the russian community kind of woke up and uh i'm even my son had a really interesting incident where he was at school and he was taught something and then he came home and he's like not talking and i'm like okay what's wrong mm-hmm. so we kind of had to go to the school talk to the teacher, talk to the principal, like why were we not notified that you guys were teaching these things to him in that mm-hmm. specific manner. We don't mind, you know, he knows the basics, mm-hmm. but the way that it was presented was not right. the way that you'd want right. presented to a child. And uh, so I think our Slavic community, as you have noticed from the first SAS event that happened about two years ago, is I think you guys would have a much different reception right now in any Slavic church, especially related to homeschooling, mm-hmm. because so many parents are just they're they're looking for information and, uh, you know, they're trying out all these different programs. And it's a lot of it's just word of mouth now at this point. Um, and just being afraid of taking that leap. Mm-hmm. I think that's what kind of. But, yeah, the situation right now is so different than it was <laughs> from oh. what you were describing. Well, and it really I mean, if you if you think how good of the Lord. How kind of the Lord to to bring my husband and myself and our seven children into homeschooling before this was an emergency, because now we're a little bit like Moses, you know, leading the people out of (laughs) captivity, you know, because the path has already been blazed. And I always tell people, you know, my generation of homeschoolers, you know, 23 years ago was a very different situation. And in fact, the youngest of our seven is only 10. And I am raising her in a completely different environment than I raised my 30 year old daughter. And I, I'm looking at what's happening now, and, I, and I, I would categorize my generation, Jay and I really kind of the tail end of the homeschool pioneers, um, not preppers, although I'm considering turning into one right now. <laughs> yeah, but, myself uh, included. Right? <laughs> but uh, we, I think really at the tail end of the pioneers, meaning we saw something that, that offered hope for our family, something different, and the Lord just yeah. burdened our hearts to do it. This generation... And the people that we're talking to today on the radio, they're not pioneers. They're refugees. They're running. I mean, I was running to something. They're really running from something. And so it's a completely different paradigm. We're looking at things in a very, very different way. And what's amazing about about this, and like I said, how kind of the Lord, Mm -hmm. uh, that that he would take people like my, my husband and myself and we could blaze a trail and we could open up the Homeschool Resource Center. And so that when, when there was a, a rush of refugees, we could say, we can help you. We know this isn't what you wanted to do. They're not, you know, I was like, I'm going to write my own curriculum. I'm going to figure this out. <laughs> Most people are like, really? I have to do, you know, really? But there are ways that we can approach it that make it very, very doable. If you just boil it down to reading, writing, and arithmetic, what is wrong with us in this country? That we can graduate from our public high schools and feel inferior and incapable of teaching a third grader math it's because we've been taught for our entire lives that we can't teach these kids unless we are teachers unless we've been taught how to teach them but what parents need to understand and what i want every mom that's listening to me to understand is you are your child's first teacher who taught your child how to tie their shoes you did Who taught your child how to brush their teeth? You did. And what we've had is the culture lying to us to say, well, moms, you only do this. This is your lane. Stay in your lane. And then the school will be this lane. But unfortunately, the schools are no longer focused on teaching reading, writing, and arithmetic. They're they're indoctrinating our children. They're no longer teaching our children uh, how to think. They're teaching them what to think. And that is dangerous. And that's why I was saying a few minutes ago, I think we need to stop talking about what's happening in the public schools as a problem or even a crisis. I think we need to start talking about it as if it's an emergency because it is. We are graduating children by the hundreds of thousands out of these schools every single year. And they hate this country 
and they've been taught now, th- thank you, critical race theory, they've been taught to hate each other. They, uh, they, uh, they hate the faith community, many of them. And these are tomorrow's teachers and tomorrow's judges and tomorrow's lawmakers. And I'm telling you what, they won't think twice about sending you to jail for your backwards conservative point of view and for your bigoted religious beliefs. And it's because they've been, in, it, they've been indoctrinated literally and brainwashed to believe, you know, the schools are going to come right out and say your parents are dumb. They're going to say, well, your parents just don't understand. Your, your parents your, your parents weren't taught this very important information about whatever it is, transgenderism, socialism, whatever it is. You see, our kids are not being taught about socialism. They're being taught socialism is good. And there's a difference. So I, when I look at parents now who look at homeschooling, I was just in Onalaska, Washington last mm-hmm. night. Wow, you guys would have loved that. I mean, that would have been, that was Slavic vote dream come true. All these parents <laughs> coming out to a school board meeting where they're trying to tell the school board, please don't make our children wear masks again this next year. We, the suicide rate is up. So many things are, are hurting our children. When the meeting was over, I would say 75% of that group of parents moved to a, to a local park and they set up a microphone and they said, Heidi, come and tell the parents how to pull their kids out of school. And so that's what I did. That's what needs to happen. But to see these parents who never really wanted to homeschool all of a sudden go, okay, we have to do this. You've got, you're back to the, the refugee status. And there are organizations like mine that are ready to help. And I, I just think that is the provision of the Lord and how grateful we are for it. Well, uh, before we get into the next question, I, I'm just curious, you know, what, what exactly drives you? Like, because it's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of hard work. And we, we you know, we've been doing this for a while. It's a, it's a lot of not the not the most nicest work and you meet a lot of people that you um you know that you have a hard time dealing with but what drives you what what's what's that passion that drives you you know i care about people and and uh, jay and i over the last the course of the last 25 years have planted over 60 homeschool cooperatives around the united states in canada even uh, even one or two in germany um, we care about people and i am a solutions person and so is my husband we're kind of these big dreamers and God's really given us a passion for people and a desire to fa- to find solutions. So I don't like to just pontificate and talk about things on Facebook. I want to come up with an answer. Right. And so that really is what's driving us. People are frustrated. If you look around at what's happening in the culture right now, I mean, we're, we're, we're marching on Olympia. You can see people in Oregon going down to freedom rallies. People are very frustrated, but marching isn't going to fix it. And we need to start giving people solutions. And so uh, on the 25th of August, we're doing a march for medical freedom and education, not a march, but a rally for medical freedom and education freedom at Flyta Park in Vancouver. And we're going to be giving people very specific instructions. Here's what you do now. And we've got, we've got to get beyond complaining and beyond being frustrated to solutions. And that's really what drives me. I'm a solutions person. I want to sit around the table, even with people that I maybe not, am not on the same page with. And let's discuss different points of view and how can we come to a place where we're actually moving the needle and helping mm-hmm. people accomplish the thing. And we all want the same things, I think, at the end of the day. We want our kids to be happy and healthy. Um, we want our families to be strong. And so how can we accomplish that? And so I mean, you know, I've written what, seven books now and have a podcast that reaches about a million people a month. All of those things, you know, we do those things for one reason, and that is to encourage people that there is a solution. There are better ways. There is hope because there's so much discouragement uh, in, in, the, in the air right now. It's why I'm running oh, for yeah. Congress. I'm running for Congress to say there's a better way. We don't have to keep, you know, running around the same mulberry bush and giving our freedoms away to these uh, to these political elites year after year after year after year. There's a better way. And that is really what drives me. My love for people and my love for this country. And I want to be able to look my grandkids in the eye and say I did everything I could. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, and basically what we're hearing right now, I think a lot of parents are hearing things like CRT, critical race theory. They're hearing these other things that are going on in school. Uh, I think a lot of people maybe don't understand all the way what it is. Could you break it down a little bit and, and kind of explain what it is and how it's going to affect them and why it's important to get get out of school? Yeah. So the first thing people need to understand about critical race theory is it's not new. It may be new to us because we're you know a lot of people just now hearing about it. Critical race theory is an idea that was birthed in a university in 1989. So that's the year I got married. That makes it 32 mm-hmm. years old. And so now what we have is an adult. Right. We have a so-called theory, a so-called idea that's not new. 
They've been working at getting this into the schools for a long time. And critical race theory is a cancer that presupposes that the American way of life is inherently and systemically racist and that there's nothing that can be done about it except for to tear all these so-called racist institutions down and re-educate people. So, uh, Dimitri, they're going to want to re-educate you and then send you back out into polite society because even though you don't understand this, and I'm sure you think you're a wonderful person, you're a racist and you can't help it. And so, and that is truly the belief system wow. of critical race theory. And so they divide people into two groups. You have the victim and you have the oppressor. Well, here in the United States, boy, we love our victim status, don't we? We love to be able to say we're in a minority. We need, we, we need this amount of money from this part of the government because we have a grievance because we're a minority. So it's literally teaching uh, our children that they fall into one category or another. You're either a victim or you're an oppressor. If you're a white person, you are automatically an oppressor. If you are a black person or a, a brown person, you are automatically a, a victim. And it's not helping anyone, right? And so we're yeah. literally doing exactly the thing that we fought so hard against to do against in the civil rights. You know, uh, Martin Luther King saying that he dreamed of a day when his kids would be known for the content of their character not the color of their skin. And we're right back there again, only this time it's worse because this time we're talking about uh, restitution. This time we're telling our kids that they can't actually help it. It doesn't even matter if they have kindness in their heart toward their black or brown friend. They're a racist and they can't help it. It is a wickedness. It is a cancer that started in our universities in 1989 and has now, uh, or I'm, yeah, in 1989 has now metastasized into mm -hmm. our high schools and into our elementary schools. In Washington State, critical race theory is now the law. Uh, Governor Inslee mandated that it be taught to staff and teachers. And this is where, so if you, if you listen to the language of our lawmakers, and our and our governor, but you know, here in uh, in Washington State, of course, we have uh, King Inslee, and then we have the Empress Brown in Oregon, right? right? And these, so they will say to you, Governor Inslee will say, "Well, we're not teaching that in our schools." Uh, yes, you are, because you're teaching it to the mm -hmm. teachers in the hopes that the teachers will begin then to teach from this worldview. So that's what they're right. doing. So they train the teachers and the staff in a particular worldview because we all know that every single one of us sitting around this table, we come at life from a particular point of view. We mm -hmm. look at life from a particular lens. So what they want is for the teachers and staff to see the world through the lens of critical race theory and then have that um, basically infuse into everything that they teach the students. So even though they might not be technically teaching critical race theory, although I can make a pretty strong case where they are, they're going to tell you, no, we're not doing that. It is absolutely in the schools. It's part of the emergency. It is absolutely in the Oregon school system. Uh, a lot of people thinking, well, my kids were, they're doing online school, so they're shielded from that. But if you look, I have screenshots of a, of a school district in Hillsboro, Oregon. And if you look behind them on the wall, mm -hmm. you'll see images of the fist from Black Lives Matter, um, the poster that says no human is illegal, all kinds of um, subtle images and subtle language that is teaching our children critical race theory. So it is absolutely in our schools and parents don't need to put up with it. You don't, you know, the, your, your students don't belong to the state. And the reason that they're working so hard at this right now is because they know how powerful education is. And we know that what we, what we do today in teaching our children is going to have impacts for generations because this is the foundational uh, this, these are the foundational so-called truths that these kids will believe. And they and the, the saddest thing about this, yeah. and I mean, I have, have talked to these kids all over the United States. They believe, they really do believe that they're on a righteous mission. So they come out of, you know, 12 years in the public school and they're apologizing for their white privilege and apologizing for sins that they never committed or maybe the sins of somebody that, that, that was committed 400 years ago in their families. And they believe they're on a righteous mission. And that's why I was saying earlier, you give this a few years and they won't think twice about sending you to prison, about arresting you. And I mean, it sounds alarmist, but I'm telling you what, oh, we're hearing it already. the People handwriting's on the wall. This is absolutely happening. You know, someone said to me the other day, well, you're, you know, you're just scaring people. If, if people aren't scared, they're not paying attention. Because this is happening, and, and I could tell you stories that would make you weep. Mothers and fathers that come up to my husband and I as we travel around this country, and they say, we woke up one day and we just realized our, we don't believe the same thing our kids believe. And they hate the country. 
and they hate us and they think we're stupid. Well, that's because for the, how, what did you think was going to happen? We send our kids to Rome for 12 years in a row. They're going to come out as what? Romans. And that's what's been happening. And so parents have an opportunity right now. And there are many, many, many organizations, uh, notwithstanding, obviously, the one that my husband and I have founded 25 years ago, many organizations that can help parents withdraw their kids from these schools and breathe life back into their families again. And there is hope. And I think that's what I want people to hear. And we're hearing a lot of people. I've I've seen tweets of uh, individuals saying that, you know, things like what you said, you know, taking, putting them in prison and and worse. Mm -hmm. So it's it's out there. It's real. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's this is just <laughs> for a lot of people. For for, for the Slavic community, it's like, what is going on? Like, we we came here. We arrived in '89, so I was pretty small. '89 was my favorite year. That's the year I got married. <laughs> Isn't that when the Soviet Union also collapsed around there? Yeah, I, I, I'm started. telling you, yeah. And I have this feeling like the Slavic community was just resting. Like we literally lived off of what Americans did right for like the past. 30, 40, 50 years. And we were kind of like piggybacking on just, you know, having our freedoms, having everything. And within the past, I think, two years, it's just changed so much. And for us, um, like you're, you're talking about kids in schools, you know, if they're being taught something, if they don't have anything to compare that to, because I'm pretty sure when they come home, they're not talking to their parents about critical not. race theory. Because no. like you said, a lot of it is subliminal. So it's always in the background. If they're only training the teachers, then the teachers have such a huge leeway of how they want to present that information to the children. Uh, I mean, we see the extremes a lot, you know, like on YouTube and Facebook where teachers are actually telling the kids straight up it doesn't always happen that way um but as far as um you know us the slavic people we're realizing that for us it's like a deja vu in a way because this happened just you know 30 years ago i'm still in a generation that actually went to first second first grade in russia and i remember this and i'm like Mm. No way. No way. This is not going to happen. You know, the American people will not let this go through. And it just keeps getting worse and worse every year. And I'm like, wow. Okay. So I think as a Slavic community, I'm seeing a lot, some of this, not a lot of it, but some of it, a lot of it on the personal level where, where Slavic people are like, you know, there's going to be a, there's going to be a time just like we're in Russia where, you know, you'd have a guy come in with a red band on his hand and say, Hey, you come with me and you don't know where you're going. Those are the scariest times for us when we were in school. It was like we didn't know our parents our parents weren't notified what this person's going to take us into another room. You know, for me it ended up being like a lot of dental work without any Novocaine or whatever they put in the mouth. It it, it was scary. Like kids were traumatized when they were small. And um for us it's like it's happening again. What is going on? And we realize that a lot of American people they unless they migrated they're like first generation migrants to America from a um a government, you know, where there was either communism or um they I don't think they realize where that 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 moves and i mean for us as an educational organization um you know getting people to actually stand up and voice their opinions i think is like one of the biggest steps uh just like i said earlier with the pastors uh you know pastors are actually on board of coming up there and actually saying you know we're going to stand for this and this no matter what happens in most cases Uh, and it's just yeah it's just amazing the fact that well, God got you into the position like 25 years before this whole event happened. Um, it's really good. I, I think our Slavic community can definitely benefit from that. Yeah, and, I, and I think what you're saying is so important because, you know, you, we're, we're talking about saying something. And at this point, the only thing that is necessary for the, for the I think, what will be the complete collapse of life as we know it here in the United States, the radical left in this country to finish what they've started. The only thing that they need now is our silence. And we, and I've been telling people for the last four or five years, stop giving them your silence, show up, speak up, act up, do something. This is why I keep telling parents, withdraw your children from the school, 
refuse to be a part of this system any longer. And it really will send shockwaves. And I believe, you know, like we, we were talking about earlier, God knew this was going to happen a long time ago, right? None of us saw this coming. You know, I heard stories and many of them from my friends in the, in the Romanian community about what mm-hmm. they had come from over there. Terrifying stuff. Yeah. And they're weeping now. Because they see this happening. And I feel like the Slavic community, you guys are in a very, very unique position. We're lazy here. We're very lazy. We've taken our our, our our freedoms for granted. People that are born in this country, and my grandparents are from Nebraska, you know, born in this country. And we t- we've taken for granted the sacrifices. People died. You know, we, we were just talking about D-Day the other day. And these brave men, 18-year-olds, these young, young boys you know, uh, running onto the beaches of Normandy and they had what, two seconds to live before they were shot down by uh, enemy fire. They, they died for freedom. We're not even willing to take our kids out of public school. We're not even willing to go to a rally. We're not willing to vote. What does that say? I mean, if we lose our freedom at this point, it's going to be our fault. And I, I, I've been, you know, kind of William Wallace, I guess, if you will, around the country for several years now, just telling people, wake up, wake up, wake up. And now we're at the jumping off place. Now we've got a president in office right now who doesn't care about our freedom. You guys probably heard Ar- Arnold Schwarzenegger, whose uh, native country is Austria, mm-hmm. basically told Americans, forget mm-hmm. about your freedom. Your freedom's not important. You know, what's important is that you get a vaccine. What's important? This is not the way we do things in the United States. And if people like Arnold Schwarzenegger, who used to be the governor of California, if he's emboldened enough to make a statement that anti-American and anti-freedom, I promise you it's in, it's deep into our layers of government and American, the American people and people like me and people like you, we have, we're being given, we have a window right now. We have an opportunity to sound the alarm to, uh, to say, no, this is not, I mean, our founding fathers are rolling in their graves right now. And what's happening in this country and we have an opportunity and i just feel i feel like boy let's not waste it we don't know what's going to happen a year from now or even two years from now i had the opportunity a couple of months ago to have a sit down with president trump and i, I spoke to him for almost an hour uh just just a one-on-one uh you know visit talking to him about my run for congress and what's happening here in the pacific northwest and he said something very interesting to me he said heidi i don't think that our nation can survive even two more years of this And I think he's correct. And it will be incumbent upon all of us to use our voices, to use our platforms, to the the churches must engage. Pastors must engage. We can no longer afford to be sitting back and saying, well, we don't talk about politics. That's just a a nasty, awful thing. And no, no, it's politics that determines policy. And so we need to start talking about it as if it were life and death or freedom or not, because that's really what it is. And as God's people move away from God's, uh, you know, our, our job, which is to be salt and light in the world, the Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And as God's people are moving farther and farther away from the realms of politics and even uh, medicine, we're losing our liberty right along with it. And uh, it's it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting thing to watch. So I have a lot of hope. I have a lot of hope within the Slavic community. Years ago, when you guys came to me and asked me to to um, start speaking and talking mm-hmm. to people about voting, I just remember think my something inside me just quickened because I thought, man, if the if the Slavic community could get in, engaged and start speaking about what it's like, you guys, our kids don't even understand communism. They they don't understand socialism. They've been taught that it's a good thing. And they don't, you know, that's why you see people, uh, young people walking around. I saw a guy in downtown Vancouver the day with a shirt with a picture of uh, Che Guevara on it. This guy, a mass murderer. He wasn't taught that in school. He thinks he's a hero. So what, how, how can we, uh, how can we educate people and get back to talking about what's really happening? What would happen if we opened our homes on the weekends and we started talking about what's going on and we started educating people and we started inviting our neighbors again, like we used to do in the fifties and sixties in this country. Um, and, and it's going to take an active citizenry, but I think it can be done. I still believe, you know, maybe I'm Pollyanna-ish about this. I still believe that, that there are more of us. I think, they, I think there are more people that believe right. that we do than these people that are, that are attempting this hostile takeover of our freedom. Well, I think that's a perfect segue because uh, we, we came here not to just talk about, you know, the negative. We came here to talk about the positive. And I think it's a perfect time. You know, I, we want to talk about some of the things that we can do to reverse this, perhaps. What the how how can we solve some of these issues? So, 
you, you're probably having a lot of people listening that are you know, hearing you and they're wondering, what can we do? You mm-hmm. know, what are some of the things that we can do to, uh, to stop this? And obviously you're taking the, the next step of actually running for local office. Uh, and that's what we always talk about as well. You know, voting is very important, but we, we encourage taking the next step is running and trying for school board, for any kind of board to bring that, uh, first of all, experience and then go on the next next step. So what would you say um, for someone who hasn't ever done this? They might have only voted. What is what is something that they can do to uh, getting get engaged and maybe pastors as well? What can they do to engage? I love that question. And I think um, let's talk about pastors first, because I think a lot of this sits on, you know, a lot of this sits on the church. We have we have disengaged for so long. And my granddad was a pastor. And mm-hmm. I remember just, you know, my grandfather was very involved politically. He took me campaigning when I was seven years old for Ronald Reagan, right? So <laughs> uh, my grandfather, you know, always telling me, Heidi, our freedom is so... They loved this country. And and so I, I grew up just going, well, of course the church... I mean, absolutely. We're going to talk about what's going on because we're God's people, right? We got to get back to that. Got to get back to that mentality. I've been watching my my friend, uh, Pastor Jack Hibbs. He's the, the senior pastor at Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills. I just spoke for Calvary Chapel uh, Chattanooga. They do something every single Sunday night called Civics and Culture. And they're bringing people in. They brought me in to talk about critical race theory. But they're bringing people in to teach their their members what's happening in the culture. And it's very eye-opening. But these are churches that are doing that. And it's a wonderful opportunity. We've got incredible opportunity to engage our people. So that starts with the leadership of these churches to say, you know what, how, how, can our, how, could, how does our faith become action? How can we um, take our faith out into the culture? and meet people at the intersection of faith and culture. So I think that's probably one of the most important things when we're talking about people who are listening and it can be overwhelming. And I'm sure that there are people who are listening to me today and they're like, boy, that's like taking a drink out of a fire hydrant. You know, you, you start to feel, you start to feel overwhelmed and you start to feel like, why, why even bother? That's the adversary, right? We know that God's word teaches us uh, greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. And we know that God plus nobody is a majority. So the Bible teaches us that our, our response right now is to come before the Lord in prayer. Lord, what would you have me do? You know, I, I find it so interesting, uh, you know, when the Israelites went to take Jericho, what did God do? He sent in the worshipers first. You know, the priests with the trumpets, those guys were the ones that went in first. God can do anything. And so uh, I don't feel discouraged. I'm frustrated and I would say I'm angry at the lack, at the apathy in the culture and that got us to where we are right now, but I'm not despondent and I think God can do it, but we've got to be asking him what to do. We, we pray for instruction, right? We don't pray just so we can say we did it. Like, what do you want us to do? So, I mean, obviously you just said it's voting, but I think um, we need to be very, very intentional. So maybe instead of watching Netflix at night, you're watching a documentary on on critical race theory. Maybe you're reading uh, Vody Bauckham's book um, on critical race theory, and I think it's, it is called Fault Lines. That's a fantastic book. Uh, educating yourself. I mean, I have I have books coming oh probably three times a week to my house. You know, I just got a Ben Shapiro's new book about this totalitarian moment that we're living in in our country, and that's the stuff I'm doing in my spare time. And we and and that takes a commitment to say I'm not going to be lazy. Tonight, we're not just going to sit down and just, you know, let our minds wander and watch another episode of Superman or whatever it is. I'm going to educate myself. So I think that's very important also. And then start showing up. Even if your kids are not in the public school, start showing up to these school board meetings. You know, I started going to my first school board meetings about four years ago. And because I was hearing rumblings. Well, you could say, well, Heidi, why would you do that? Your kids aren't in the public school. You're right, but I care about what's happening in the public school because these kids are the vast majority of the kids that are being educated in our country, and they are tomorrow's leaders. We need to be very concerned whether our kids are in the school system or not. So show up. And uh, it, it's fascinating. You know, if you look and see, I saw a school board meeting happen in Vancouver just a couple of days ago mm-hmm. where the school board turned the microphone off for the parents, wouldn't let them speak. That is wrong. That, that should never happen in this country. And so what would happen if we started showing up in droves and, and we refuse to be silent? And so if they're going to turn the microphone off, we're going to take our own microphone, you know, and to really start thinking, we, we, we are a little bit, I think, uh, we've been trained to be subservient to the government. And you hear pastors talking about Romans 13, and we could probably go all over the place talking about Romans 13. Uh, 
And in fact, I, I just got a wonderful book from a friend of mine about the Black Robe Regiment and talking about how we have misused and misapplied Romans 13, which has been part of how we've gotten to where we are. But every single person listening to this can do something. You know, if you somebody like me who's running for Congress, we need to be supporting people. If we see a good person who's willing to get out in front of the crowd and take the shots and be and and be willing to put their life on the line, we need to get behind them. I think often of Moses and how he got tired. Remember, and Aaron, yeah, they went up. Yeah, they came alongside and they lifted his arms. How are we lifting the arms of the people around us that are good people that are that are putting it all on the line to say, I'll, I will represent, I'll run for office. Are we giving financially? Because we should give till it hurts. Yeah. And really to start, we, we start putting our money where our mouth is and start supporting these people, get involved in their campaign, start doorbelling. Um, in educating people. I'm starting something in a couple of weeks called Politics in the Park, and I'm just going to show up to the park with my big old banner, and we're going to start talking about stuff. We need to be talking. And the, the conversation in the United States, the way that our government is such a beautiful country because our founding fathers had an idea that was such a powerful idea, and it so far has worked for a couple hundred years now, that said our rights don't come from government. They come from God. And all of these totalitarian governments around the world, I don't care if it's China or Russia or Germany, they turn that on its head and they say, no, the rights come from government. Well, what the government can give, the government can take away. And if and this idea, this beautiful idea that's written into our constitution, mm-hmm. that we are the we determine our destiny, not the government. Well, guess what? We don't get to determine our destiny unless we're willing to work for it. Unless if we don't do it, if we if we refuse to get out there, the government will be taking our rights from us and we're watching them do that now with the mask mandates are coming back i i promise you they're going to try to lock us down again well guess what heidi st john's not going to play so when you guys see me and fred meyer and i don't have a mask on my face it's because i already had the rona and i'm not going to let you guys tell me what i can and cannot put on my face that's it's a violation of everything that we know to be true in this country and and to teach our children to be subservient to the government without so much as a lick of evidence or scientific research. I mean, they said, what are we, 15, 16 months into two weeks to flatten the curve now? Nothing that they're doing is working. And yet we've been taught, don't question. Just be quiet. Just keep doing what you're doing. This is, so, this is such an interesting topic because when we first came to America, uh, what was so surprising to the Slavic community was we used to call Americans, and this is not a condescending thing, it was actually a compliment because the second generation was just like that. We said Americans are soft. Yeah. Um, and what we meant by that was not just that they're soft, that they're actually very law-abiding. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if there's a law that comes out, uh, you know, people will not question it. And we came from a culture where <laughs> you questioned everything, even though you couldn't do much about it, but you you were forced to question everything because you knew that, you know, the state, okay, why doesn't the state want us to bring our kids to services? You know, that was one of the communism big things you know they wouldn't they would let the elders go but they wouldn't allow the kids to go to church for example or gather um so and that's what we that's what we kind of grew up with was like you know americans are very law-abiding well i see that in my kids you know in the second generation and i'm trying to prompt them to think i'm like so if your teacher tells you this in class Aren't you allowed to question where she got that information from? Or are you just taking, you know, her for her word? And uh, I don't know how you trigger that. It's so awesome that in the U.S. there is an influx of, uh, let's say, the good legal immigration Mm -hmm. from countries Mm -hmm. where they come here, they see the opportunities, and they're like, wow, this is the best thing that can happen, you know, in my life, the opportunities that America offers. Um, And it's just like... It just surprises me. Mm-hmm. Like I, I look at the generations and I'm really afraid for our generation, the next generation, because, you know, we're having in some cases where kids are not on the same page as the parents anymore. It's more often than not. And it's uh, and even uh, I know statistically because I went to a school at OSU for a couple of years and uh, parents even back then were talking about, you know, we're not going to send our kids to college because they're coming back from college and, you know, they're, they don't believe anything in any of our values for any reasons that we even came to this country for anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's, 
now we're seeing that generation actually come into like mm-hmm. fruition. Mm-hmm. Well, and you're right. I mean, you're right about this, the soft American, uh, the way that we look at things because we didn't have a reason or we didn't think we did to question, you know, we've, we've got laws that are, you know, pretty well set on the books, but we thought though, what we're learning now is that while we were pursuing the American dream, while we're raising our children and going to work and, and sending our kids off to school, uh, our values have been slowly undermined. And we and we're like the frog, that proverbial frog in the kettle, oh, right? Lord, and now Lord, the water's yeah. boiling, and we're like, shoot, fire! It's kind of hot in here, you know. <laughs> and I think we we sure. like I said was saying earlier, we waited too long, you know. So we 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 just took for granted. And think about this, my friend Sam Sorbo, brilliant uh, author and an actress, a friend of mine out of uh, Florida. She says that the, we are not educating children in our schools anymore. We're schooling them. We're schooling them. So we're teaching them when you're when you drop your child off at the school, this the teacher is the final authority. So whatever the teacher says, we we take that for granted. We don't take it for granted. We we believe everything they say. If they say stand up, when we stand up. If the bell rings, we go back. You know we're we, you know we're conditioning our children and have been for a long time. And actually, I saw even in my own kids, who are older, you know, way back last. April, uh, my spirit was so troubled by this whole thing. You guys probably saw me doing Facebook lives. I was just like, this is not okay, you know? And I, I just, I mean, I am a freedom fighter and I love this country and I could see, wow, we're trampling on pa- on patients' rights. We're trampling. I mean, my, um, my mother-in-law had a heart attack at the beginning of COVID and they would not let me go into the hospital with her. And when they, they told me the only way that we, we'd be allowed to see her is if she was literally dying and there was nothing else they can do. And I thought, this is criminal. Like th- We don't do this in the United States. But as, you know, and so I was kind of sounding the alarm and my adult kids are like, mom, come on. You know, yeah. it's not that big of a deal. Well, guess what? All of my kids now, it's been a year, but they're all like, okay, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> this is a you big know, deal. <laughs> yeah, it's a big deal. But I think you're, what you're saying is exactly right. You characterized it right. We've, we've trusted that the people in our government had our best interest at heart. And now we're realizing they don't. And that is a sobering reality. And it's a very hard thing to come to terms with. But we've got to come to terms with it. And I love what you were saying earlier, you know, we have an opportunity to band together. There are a lot of us, we have an opportunity to say, this is the person that we're going to have speak for us, or this is an idea that we're going to do together. Individually, though, it would be very, very difficult. Well, we're seeing the Slavic community, you know, a lot of them are seeing more and more waking up to this reality. And some of them are leaving. And, you know, it makes sense. But some of them are they're, they're, they don't have any hope anymore. They, f- they feel like they can't do anything. So my, the way I see it is, you know, this our rights have been taken away slowly. Mm-hmm. And the way to take them back, it's not going to be a, a one overnight kind of a thing. We're going to have to have patience. We're going to have to slowly take it back as well, slowly get active and slowly take those back. So what do you tell people who lost hope and how do you encourage them? Oh, Especially wow. right now, like with everything that's going on with people losing their jobs. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, my nephew works for a hospital in Oregon, and his um, my niece called today, his wife, and she was she said, you know, my husband just called me from the hospital crying. He loves his job. He's a wonderful nurse, and they're forcing him to take this, you know, this vaccine. Well, he's not going to do it, so he's going to lose his job. And so I told her, I said, because she was crying, I said, listen, don't don't lose hope. There are there. Are, I think we've been really knocked back on our heels by this. No one thought we'd ever see this in the United States ever, ever. Um, but I think there are lawsuits coming. There are organizations like the Alliance Defending Freedom and the Freedom Foundation and, and other uh, well-established organizations who are ready for this fight. And they're going to take this fight on. I think what we want, what we can't do is run. What we cannot do is run. You know, a long time ago when we first started seeing some kind of weirder things happening in Washington state, uh, someone said, you guys should just move, you know, move to Texas, you know, move to Florida. Because who didn't want to be under Ron DeSantis right now? You know, good old Ron DeSantis. And you recently met him too, right? Yes, yes. And I just, my husband and I thought, you know what? We, we're not going to be driven from our home. Our home is here. Our roots are here in the Pacific Northwest. Our family is here. And so we're going to fight for it. And I think that's what needs to happen. We need to establish a beachhead. And so we begin to look together. And frankly, it's encouraging. I told you I was in Alaska last night in just an hour and a half north of Vancouver to see all these parents come out, many of them who have never been to a school board meeting in their life, come out and say, okay, you know, I, I, I see the sirens now. 
what how can i help and that's what needs to happen so last night there were 200 parents we're going to we're going to do it again in a couple of weeks and i think there'll be 500 parents and then there's going to be a thousand parents and that's what's going to happen so people can start organizing they can start talking and i think ta- we talk out in the open and in portland in particular i mean you guys look around portland i grew up here i was born at best kaiser hospital in 1970 the portland that i see now is a shadow of what it was. It is a shadow of what it was. It is a shameful condition that the city of Portland is in that we have. And it's not homeless camps. Can we just please tell the truth? These are drug camps and people who refuse to get clean. And the city of of Portland has decided, oh, that's a better thing for you to do. We'll just let you camp out on the road and put your needles and your garbage and your sewer and everything all over the roads because that's the kinder thing to do. When are ordinary people going to say, nope, that's not okay? When do we start cleaning up our streets? When do we start cleaning up our cities? We can do that without the government's help. And there are so many opportunities for us right now because the cities are in crisis. And we're watching this bleed. You were just saying it yourself. We're watching it bleed now over into Vancouver. People, you know, I moved to Vancouver for lots of different reasons. But living next to Oregon is like having a meth head for a neighbor. You know, we're watching what's happening in Portland, in in Oregon, the state and the city that I love and that I called home Mm -hmm. for many, many years uh, bear no resemblance to the Portland that it was 15 years ago. Portland's one of the most beautiful cities in the entire world. It is. We've got you guys everywhere we go. You're what, two hours from the beach. You're an hour and a half from the desert. You can go skiing. This is a beautiful place to live. And the Democrats and the progressive left is ruining the nation and ruining our cities. How long are we going to sit back and say, oh, I guess that's okay. We don't have anything to, to do about it. And it's not loving to let these people live in squalor on the side of the road. There are, there are options. We can help. Why aren't we helping? Right. And so I think we need to start asking ourselves hard questions. Mm-hmm. Every time we drive by those camps on 205, every time we see what's happening behind Dutch brothers over there on, yeah. you know, in Vancouver and over by Esther short park, this is wrong. And it, it, is, it will be up to the citizens to say no more. And I think that's what I'm telling people. You guys draw the line in the sand and then hold the line. And it will not be enough to hold the line. We're going to have to start taking ground back. And it comes when we all work together. And it's that's why I'm running for Congress. I'm an ideas person. Let's find solutions. Clearly what we're doing now is not working. The mayor of Portland, Ted Wheeler, I don't know what's wrong with that guy, but he needs to go. And who can run and take his place? Well, the guys that were running to take his place in the last election, as far as I can, I was uh, watching, there were no good options. Yeah. <laughs> so when will good people? It's just, or you guys, Ted Wheeler's just a guy. He's just a dude. So when when are we going to go? You know, I've got an idea. I'm gonna put my I'm gonna put my hat in the ring. Well, we're scared to do it, right? But we we're gonna have to get over it. You know what's gonna take? It's gonna take courage. It's gonna take men and women who say, "I'm gonna try." we have to try and that is exciting to me because we're watching for the first time in vancouver as someone told me the other day that we have uh, conservatives running for almost every open seat that's the first time this has happened in 30 years that tells me that people are going you know what that guy that's been sitting on city council forever and ever amen he's just a person I'm a person too. I have exactly. ideas. Let's try it. That was actually one of the greatest fears, I think, of the Slavic community was that, okay, English is definitely not our first language. It's our second language in most cases for people who would be able to run or want to run. And then, um, but being in politics just for the two years, I considered myself a novice <laughs> and talking to the people that are, are in politics, I just, you just realize that there's like, a lot of times there's nothing special about these people. I mean, like you're very well outspoken, you speaking really well in front of crowds and, um, but like some of these people, you know, we, we always thought in America that in politics, you would have to be successful as a person and then that would bring the cream of the crop to the top. But how, what we're that's see- how it should work. What we're seeing now is completely the opposite. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I think it's kind of a more motivational uh, thing that we, trend that we're seeing. Uh, my question to you is, um, when you m- made the choice to run for Congress, uh, what was the greatest fear, I guess? Was it just the fact that there's probably going to be some slander, there's probably going to be some fake news or something about you what was the i think that i think that my greatest fear was uh, what would happen to my family because it's not just a person that runs for office it's a family 
And so our family, you know, we have seven children and three grandkids. We got together with all of them. We prayed. We prayed our guts out. We counted the cost. We prayed for six weeks together. We called uh, wonderful people that we know that follow God all over the country and said, hey, please pray for us. We need your wisdom. We need your counsel. And so we really did count the cost. Um, and I, and this actually goes to a very important point, and I think mm-hmm. it's good that we make it. There should be a healthy fear. When you consider running for office, the idea that you could represent lots and lots of people, th- that's a sobering thought. And we should take it seriously. And there, there's a healthy fear in that. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't be afraid that our reputations are going to be ruined, that our jobs are going to be targeted, that people are going to lie about us online. And that's exactly what's happened to me, uh, for sure. And and so we see this, um, this it's a, politics is a blood sport. And so people <laughs> don't want to get into it because they, they watch good people get absolutely skewered. And this is what I was saying. When you guys see people like me running for office, come and help out. You know, help out, figure out a way that you can help because mm-hmm. it takes courage to step into the public square. It yeah. takes enormous courage right now because what we're up against, we're not talking about left versus right anymore. This is good versus evil. We have light versus darkness. And that is that is the reality. And so everything that has happened to, to me so far in this race is something that we anticipated. Okay. And uh, and it was it's a reason why it took us so long to make the decision. But I believe, and I know you guys do too, that this country is worth fighting for. And this is our fight. And we're going to take it all the way to the end. We're going to fight as hard as we can. I'm going to use the bully pulpit of running for Congress to teach people about the Constitution and about their rights and how to get involved. What would happen if we had an engaged electorate? What would happen if the citizens acted like citizens instead of just people that lived here? Right. I, I think we'd see a change. Yeah, we're, we're, we're definitely fighting against the time. So I did want to start closing the program. And I hope maybe in the future you'll be back and uh, talk to us a little more. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think one of the ways to uh, to bring change is start uniting because we see a lot of division everywhere. Yep. And that's very unfortunate. And that's why we're losing because yep. we're all divided. And that's what that's what happens. And y- Yadik mentioned fear. And I know that uh, I didn't think you, you were f- f- had a fear in anything. So. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's uh, surprising. How do you overcome that fear? I, I think sometimes you don't. You know, my grandmother told me a long time ago, she said, Heidi, you can do anything. Just do it afraid. Yeah. And uh, that's a lot of a lot of what we're doing is pushing through that fear and just saying, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do this anyway. I'm going to do this even though I'm afraid. I'm going to speak the truth even when my voice shakes. And my voice is sh- shake. It's shaking a lot. Um, this is scary. And I and the things that we've had, uh, my life has been threatened since I have uh, run for Congress. This is that's wrong. That should never happen in the United States. And part of the reason why I'm running is to bring integrity back to politics to say, hey, look, here's an ordinary person, just a regular citizen, Heidi St. John. I'm a mother of seven and a grandmother. And I love this country. And I think I have some ideas that can help. That shouldn't cause me to have my name slandered on the Internet or my life threatened. Right. And yet that's the reality. We can change it, but we won't change it unless we all band together and we start saying, no, we're not going to take the status quo anymore. I'm never going to listen to someone ever again say, that's just politics. No, that's just what we allow in politics, but it should never be politics. And I think we've got to, we have a chance to change it. Right. Thank you. Yeah. And I just want to remind, you know, thank you by the way for being here. Thanks for having Um, me. I'm going to start closing here and I just want to remind uh, our folks, uh, you know, we're a nonpartisan organization. We don't tell anybody who to vote for. We just bring guests who have very who are very closely aligned with our values, and uh, Heidi it just happens to be like that. So I appreciate her being here and uh, sounding the alarm because I feel like there's uh, very little people who are who are doing that. And you know, you're one of the few. I know Dr. Dobson is a great a great uh, man of God, and and he he's he remind me, you remind me of him a lot of times. He's a dear friend of mine, yeah. Yeah. and I think that's the first time I actually heard about you through his program, mm-hmm. and uh, I. I fell in love with you right away. So mm. you were you were very uh, inspiring and passionate, and I loved it. So thank you very much. Thank you once again, Yaroslav. Thank you for being here. Um, I just want to quickly just give you a last minute. Um, you know, people are hearing they want to they they are inspired to help. They're inspired to help you. What can people do? You know, we have a few minutes left. What can they do? Uh, you obviously you know have homeschooling. We didn't talk much about that. I feel like uh, where can they find more information about that? And simply um, you know what can they do? Tell them, tell them what can they, how can they help. 
Uh, well, if you want to find out about the, the Homeschool Resource Center, it's called the Firmly Planted Homeschool Resource Center. If you just Google it, it'll come up, fphrc.org. As far as helping me uh, in my run for Congress, that website is HeidiStJohnForCongress.com. I'm not going to lie. We need financial support. We need it now. Uh, we have a huge fund, a fundraising deadline coming up. One, one thing I'm learning, as sad as this is, uh, money follows money. And there are a lot of people watching to see how these races are following are, are, are stacking up. And that money is very important. The fundraising is very, just a, a field sign is very expensive. Um, you know, we've got most of the people working for me are volunteers, but it's a very expensive thing to try to run for Congress. Also, we want people to get involved. So this next Sunday coming up, actually, just in a couple of days mm-hmm. uh, at one o'clock in the afternoon at Louisville Park and Battleground. So after church, uh, we're going to have a barbecue and we're going to give people an opportunity to sign up to help. We want to build the biggest grassroots organization that Washington state has ever seen. And if people are in Oregon and they're interested and they want to come help doorbell, they can come and help. So you don't have to live in Washington state to help us. You got to remember this is a federal seat. So my voice in Congress would be a voice for the nation, a voice from Washington that primarily represents Washingtonians, but also represents uh, Oregon and the rest of the nation. Right. And I was about to ask, uh, you know, if they want to volunteer, how can they do it? So thank you for saying that. So Sunday, right? Sunday, 1, yep. 1 p.m. Sunday. That's coming up. Yep. Lewisville Park in Battleground. Perfect. Please bring something to eat with you. So it's a potluck, <laughs> right? It's a potluck. So bring like, you know, a yeah. side dish or a dessert, you know, uh, and we're going to have hamburgers and hot dogs there. And people bring borscht and pilmeni? Yes, please. <laughs> Actually, that's some of my favorite food. So yeah, just bring it to me. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you so much. Спасибо большое, что вы нас слушали. Наша передача Slavic Vote Live. Нам очень было приятно, что вы с нами были. Я надеюсь, многие поняли, о чем мы говорили. Это очень важная тема. На следующей неделе у нас будет продолжение этой темы. Если вы подключитесь, я думаю, вы можете услышать немножко ну, на русской версии некоторые вещи, которые мы поговорим с пастором Виктором Лебедем. Вы можете найти эти передачи на нашем YouTube-канале, где вы можете пройти через все наши передачи и также послушать эту передачу и будущие. И не забывайте subscribe, как говорится, да, наш, на наш YouTube-канал. Вы также можете найти больше информации на нашем Instagram, на Instagram, на Facebook, на, я говорил, YouTube-пейдж. И также мы будем выставлять все эти видео также на нашем веб-сайте slavicvote.org. Хорошо, спасибо большое, Ярослав, спасибо. Хайди, спасибо. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for being here. And next time, hopefully, we can get your husband in and he can tell us a little bit about he, uh, Yeah, he's good bit. at it. He would he do that. He He was. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. This podcast couldn't have been possible without our incredible producer, Vitaly Zaitsev. And of course, we'd like to say a special thank you to our supporters, sponsors, and contributors. Special recognition to some of our sponsors like Red Hill Construction, Pinmeni Pinmeni, Martina Realty, and American's Best Realty, among others. If you'd like to learn how to partner with Slavic Vote, you can find more information on our website, slavicvote.org. Thank you for listening and join us next time.